We are excited that you're with us tonight. Um, if this is one of your first times with us or, you know, you've never really had a chance to connect with Revolution, take one of these things. We'd love for you to fill it out just to have opportunity to inform you of different things that are happening, to let you know what's going on uh, in the life of Revolution, you know, where Caleb decides to eat lunch. Maybe, you know, he, you can buy his lunch sometime. Is that cool? Yeah, that'd be great. But just a way to inform you, they can get in touch with you, email address, social security number, checking account number, just some basic things, nothing major. But uh, fill that out in the back. Um, the only thing really announcement-wise we have is uh, is baptisms. We want to let you know if, if God has really put on your heart the um, idea of really taking that step of faith and showing in, in that physical, symbolic way of, of dedicating your life to Him um, just through the, the, the act of baptism and... Um, then if that's something God's really put in you, see Dave, see Ryan, see Corey, see Eric, see someone you, you see on the platform tonight so they can talk to you about how that step can be taken because we will be doing baptisms on Easter, okay, which is uh, April 20th, 420. Take that for what you want. Um, so if, if that's something that you feel led to do, really see them and seek them out. Don't forget small groups. We'd love to get you connected that way as well. So um, what we're going to do now, I know you all came in and sat down. Just like for you to introduce yourself. There are a lot of Kentucky fans who are heartbroken right now, so they need loving. If you're a Ohio State fan, you know, we understand that there's a higher calling for the team than just the game of basketball. We can lose. It's okay. Kentucky fans don't always get that privilege. So we're going to take 30 seconds, turn some music on, introduce yourselves to someone you don't know. Tell them if you're into the basketball tournament thing or not, maybe what team you like to win or not win. I personally hope Kentucky does not win. I'm just saying I don't like them. It's, I'm a Ohio State guy. We'll turn some music on, take 30 seconds and meet someone you don't know, okay? And then Corey will come up and bring us the word. 30 seconds, let's turn the music on and just meet somebody. Introduce yourself. everybody. First, before I'd like to, before I get started, I'd like to wish my wife a uh, happy 29th birthday. She's back there, back at the computer, so no matter how old I get, she'll always be a few months older than me, so um, that was kind of evil, wasn't it? Speaking of evil, um, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. There's a, uh, how's that for a segue? All right, all right. Um, but if you open up, if you open up a newspaper, get online, uh, anywhere, any kind of news source, you will see all kinds of evil in this world. It's it's very very heartbreaking. Right now, there's a jet, a jet that's just gone missing, and those people on those that jet may or may not be alive. They may have crashed. They may have been hijacked. Who, who knows what happened to that jet? Um, our, our news is just full, full of evil. I know a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, there was a story breaking here in Wheelers, Wheelersburg, just a little down the road. Small town of Wheelersburg, um, where two children, two or three children, 
were being held captive. And the, the parents took them out of... I, I don't know the uh, details of the story exactly, but the parents took them out of school and put them in private school on online school. And they had to email their teacher saying that they were being tied up and beaten. And this has happened down the road. And there's evil all throughout the world. And why, why is that? Um, some of us may not feel that evil is that much of a problem. You know, we, uh, there's good and evil in the world. That's just the way it is. But some of us, evil is just heart-wrenching and soul-crushing. And I, suggest, I, I suspect that the people that evil affects the most, it bothers the most. You know, you can read about it. You can read about it on the newspaper. But when it affects your life, when, when a family member gets murdered for no reason, or a natural disaster takes every possession you have, or anything like that, evil starts to become a problem. But why is there evil if there's an all-powerful, all-loving God? Does that, does that pose a problem? For some people, it, uh, it does. There's an 18th century Scottish philosopher. This, uh, this argument's been around for a while. The ancient Greeks, a uh, man by the name of Epicurus, had this argument at first. But David Hume may perhaps put it most succinctly in saying, Is God willing to prevent evil, but not able? Then he is impotent. Is he able, but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Whence then is evil? And this quite possibly could be one of the hardest questions for a Christian to answer. I see it thrown around all the time. Why is there evil? Why is there cancer? Why is there suffering? Um, I know Dowdy here has been on a Facebook conversation with some people. I've been reading some of the comments, and that was, that was thrown up there. Anytime you get into a debate with a skeptic, give it long enough time, they'll bring into the problem of evil. And this is... Quite pro- this is a very hard problem to overcome because we have, we have certain qualities that we as Christians claim God has. We say that he is omniscient, that is all-knowing. So if he's all-knowing, he should know how to create a world without evil. And then we say that he's omnipotent, which is all-powerful. So he should know how to, he should be able, and she, he should have the power and be able to create a world without evil. And we also say that he's omnibenevolent, that is all good or all, know, all loving. And that if he has that characteristic, he should want to create a world without evil. But there is evil in this world. There's evil, there's suffering, there's terrible things going on. Why, why is that? Does God not exist then? Um, through, our elder, through our series, we've been talking about evangelism. And we've broken it up into separate uh, sections. And this section here falls into the apologetics. I'm going to try to give you some sort of information to deal with skeptics who bring this problem. This is a very hard problem to, to face, but I don't think it's overcomable. I think that we can overcome this problem. Um, first, I'll give you, before, before getting into much more detail, I'll give you a quick response, and I'll give you a, uh, a more detailed response, even a slightly different response later. When skeptics bring this argument to us, they're forgetting one, one major argument, that we could, we could destroy their argument very quickly. There could, there could possibly be a morally sufficient reason for God to allow evil. We may not know what that reason is, but it's entirely possible for God to, to allow evil, to allow suffering in this world, to accomplish a greater purpose. And we may never know what that purpose is. But this, ar- this argument falls flat in the face of that. 
the, uh, the fact that there is, there is the possibility that God could allow evil for a greater good. Um, but before we go into what the Bible has to say, let's go into what uh, other religions or philosophical arguments have. Um, let's start with the, the second largest religion in the world, which is Islam. And through researching, I, I couldn't find a, a hard, this is what all Muslims believe about evil. They're, they're very varied like the uh, Christians are. They have um, a lot of different theological systems, just like we do, and a lot of different answers. But I found two that, that come up time and time again. One is that um, evil and suffering is a way that Allah would punish people who sin. And we will find out here, and in the Bible, God does use evil as punishment for sin. It allows evil to come on, come on to people, allows suffering to come on to people, as punishment for sins. But there's another one, a second one, where it was Allah testing the individual. It might be an upright, morally upright person, but Allah might not know how upright the person is until he throws some suffering and some evil at him. That, uh, that may not be the, I might not be representing it properly, but from my reading, that's, that's what it seemed like, that there was, there was some, some person over here that Allah thinks is upright, but doesn't really quite know. So he throws some suffering at him. And then he tests them. And if the, the person comes out still believing, then they were a true believer. I find that very inadequate. I find that that is a cruel, a cruel God. That he doesn't, and I find that as a, a not very powerful God too. In the book of Job in, in our Bible, we see that uh, God allows a lot of evil to go to Job. But that's, he knows the outcome beforehand. He knows how Job will react. Can't God know how we will react to evil and suffering. Does he have to test us? So I find that a very, very inadequate um, reason for evil. Let's go to Hinduism. Hinduism believes in karma. They believe in you do good things, good things will happen to you. You do bad things, bad things will happen to you. And they believe in um, multiple lives. The word loses me. Reincarnation. Thank you guys very much. Been a, it's been a long week. Um, they believe in reincarnation. So evil things happen to people and suffering happens to people because they were um, immoral in a, this life or the previous life. And Hindus believe that it, it is immoral to help lift people out of their suffering because that breaks the kar- karma, karma cycle. And that, um, that will bring bad karma to you if you alleviate the bad karma someone else is receiving. Um, Buddhism teaches that evil is an illusion, that um, we just need to meditate and become uh, more self-aware that evil is, an, like I said, evil is an illusion. Matt Rawlings would tell the story how he was over in the promised land, and there were, there were a couple, two people that were unrelated but had just recently lost a child, each family. So they were talking about it and reminiscing, and they started crying, and it held the tour up. And there was a Buddhist on the bus with them. And he said, come on, let's go, let's get going. And I think Matt said he looked over and said, these people just lost a child. Don't you think that they should have some time to grieve? He's like, well, if I lost a child, I'd just get over it. And that's, that's the way that the more enlightened a Buddhist becomes, the less they believe in evil. There's, there's also a, a, a religion called the Baha'i world faith, 
And it, does, it says there's no such thing as evil. It says that an action, one action may be more good than another action, or less good than another action, but there's no such thing as evil. But we can see throughout, just, just by opening a newspaper, that evil does exist. Evil and suffering does exist, and there are actions that are evil. So I find, I find all of these to be inadequate. But I think the atheist's argument against God is even, I, f- I feel, the most confusing about it. Let's reca- recap their argument again. There's a, they, they say that if an all-loving, all-loving God, an all-powerful God, would create a world without evil or suffering, but the thing is they're claiming that evil exists, which I know Dowdy has preached on this before, that there's the moral argument for the existence of God that says that if there is evil and uh, a direct, I'm sorry, if there, there are objective moral values, then there has to be a creator, uh, um, a, uh, I'm sorry, there has to be uh, someone who gives that to us. It has to be outside of us. Um, and we, we can see that in, in every, nearly everyone believes that it's wrong to murder. There are those out there that don't, but as a human race, collectively, we all have decided that evil is, uh, murder is evil. And there are some there are some acts that there are people on either side. It's not cut and dry because we're all sinful. Like, let's take abortion, for example. There are those, those that are outspoken against abortion that will do nearly anything to stop abortion from happening. And then there's those that support abortion and want and even encourage people to get abortions. But the thing is, once that baby is born, and we can see into its eyes and see it react to external stimuli from its environment then everybody agrees that that's evil to murder that child. Even, and even those abortionists who say that, yeah, we should be able to um, murder newborn children, it's just like abortion, they're even shunned by the rest of the pro-abortion community. So we have, we have these big moral ideas in our, in our soul that we, know, that we know are wrong, and a naturalist will say that's just evolution, but... Let's take something very, very horrible here. Let's take, let's say the, the rape of a child. That's one of the worst things we can think of, right? An evolutionist would say that we would think that that is evil just out of evolution. But in evolution, the only thing we care about is reproduction and feeding ourselves. And if some child over here gets raped, that has nothing to do with our reproduction or our, us feeding us. Why do we feel that that is evil? There has to be something outside of us telling us that that's evil. I would even say that um, the atheists have a problem of good rather than a problem of evil. Why is there good in this world? Why are there humanitarian efforts? Why did we fight to stop the slave trade? Sure, humans started the slave trade and started slavery in multiple parts of the world, but why, why have we fought to end that? There's no good evolutionary reason to stop that. What, like I said, with the, the rape of a child, why do we want to stop that? I, f- I find that's more of a problem for atheists than the problem of evil is for Christians. So in order to look at evil, let's, let's look, uh, do a quick overview through, overview through the Bible to see what the Bible has to say about evil. First, let's go to Genesis three seventeen through 19. Uh, in your blue Bible, that's page 4. That should be one of the easiest ones to find. 
Um, and if you don't have a Bible or the Bible you have just doesn't make any sense to you, feel free to take this Bible. We want you guys to have a Bible to read. We feel this is a faithful translation and we want a Bible in everybody's hands. So Genesis three seventeen through 19. Um, the first two chapters of Genesis show God's creative work and how he created the world to be perfect with no evil or sin. And then earlier in this chapter, we, we see the fall of man. The man has said, we don't want to follow your rules, God. We want to do for us what we want to do. We want to make our own rules. And that causes the fall of man. And the, ver- the verses right before this are the, the curses God gives to um, Satan, that is the serpent, and to the woman. But the one he gives to the man is universal for all mankind. Verse 17. And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you, and your life will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grain. By the sweat of your brow you will eat, have to... You will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. So right off the bat, the Bible is quick to say, first, evil comes into this world because of our actions. It's not God that created evil. It's our actions that um, drove God to curse us with evil. And we will be struggling against nature, and we will die. So we've got natural evil and death right in the mix. One chapter ahead... The next chapter, we see the first murder in the Bible. And humanity has been spiraling downward ever since. Um, So then we get to the law and the prophets. Um, Especially in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God warns his people, his chosen people of Israel, that disobedience to him will be punished. And it will be punished through suffering and outside evil. Um, Leviticus 26 is especially haunting. Um, I wasn't planning to read it, but it... um, it was, it's, just, it's really chilling to read. God says, if you disobey me, I will do this. And then if you continue disobeying me, this will happen. And if you continue, and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And we see in the prophets later on in the Bible that Israel has disobeyed God. And these, this evil comes. So, like I said with Islam, we, we believe as Christians that some, some evil is a result of human sin. That it's punishment from God. But we don't stop there. If we look at the book of Job, in the book of Job, there's, a, for lack of a better term, wager between God and Satan. I say it's a wager, but God knew what was going to happen. Um, Satan comes to God and says, look at your, look at your servant Job. He, uh, he only worships you because he's got a good life. And God says, well, you can, you can take stuff away from him. So he takes away his entire family, ten children. He takes away every single possession Job has and leaves him destitute. Job refuses to curse God. So then Satan comes to God and says, he, um, can I have permission to harm him? So God gives Satan permission to harm Job. So Job has a terrible, painful illness. He's left with only his, his wife, who a lot of people give his wife a hard time. And she does con- consistently nag him and tell him just to curse God and die. But she, she was going through a lot of the same pain he was going through too. But we've got, we've got this. Job was an upright man. The, the book is clear on that. He, he offered sacrifices. He was, he was in right standing before God. He even went so far as to offer sacrifices for his children in case his children unwill, uh, committed unknown sins that they 
that they didn't even know about, and he wanted to cover them. So he was a very upright and righteous man, and all this suffering comes to him. At the end of the book, Job finally, after arguing with his friends, he, gets, he has friends come that continually tell him over and over again, you must have committed some secret sin, some horrible secret sin that deserves this punishment, because punishment, uh, suffering, and evil only comes from punishment for sins. And Job rightly maintains that he is... Um, he does not have any sin that would deserve this kind of punishment. At the very end of the book, he finally gets to talk to God about it. And he expects God to tell him everything, everything what, uh, why it happened. But instead, God says, before I tell you that, go make an eagle. Oh, you can't do that. Go raise a, go raise a mountain out of nothing. And Job kind of goes, I got the point. And then God just continues for chapters, just talking about his, his might and his knowledge and his wisdom. And then never, never, ever answers Job. So the point, of, the point of the book of Job when it comes to evil is that sometimes suffering is unexplainable. And the people who get the suffering don't deserve it. And that um, God is always in control, but he doesn't have to let us know why we're suffering. Th- this book is a comfort to people who are going through suffering because... They may know God has a reason, but God doesn't ever have to tell us the reason. So let's go to the New Testament. Let's, let's flip on to Luke 13, 1 through 5. That is on page 626. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some, some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked, is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. So Jesus here is acknowledging both natural evil and man-made, man-caused evil. The, there were some people, they were actually following the Mosaic Law... They were offering sacrifices like they, they should, and Pilate had them killed. And that's why they said the, the blood mixed with the sacrifices. So they were, they were upright in the, in the names of the Jews and the, the Jewish religion. And then we have a tower that collapses. That's natural evil. No one, no one caused the tower to collapse. It just it wasn't structurally sound, and it just fell and killed people. So in this passage, Jesus acknowledges that both evil... Uh, Jesus that the evil does not arise from the victim's actions. So here again, this is, this is un, undeserved suffering, so-called undeserved suffering, that um, affects just randomly, it seems. But then he also turns it around at the accusers and says that we all deserve punishment, that even the undeserved punishment, we deserve it. But he was, he was um, turning it to attack his, his questioners, saying, Unless you repent of your sins and get right with God, you will perish. But your death will be eternal punishment. It will not be just the punishment of a quick death here on earth. Finally, let's go to Revelation 21, 1 through 8, about how God finishes evil. That is 758. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and old earth have disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, 
like the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout coming from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And then, and the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be their children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and lo- all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of ball- burning sulfur. This is the second death. Right here, God promises to defeat evil once and for all. All of God's people will be his forever. Pain will be non-existent. No more death. God will be ours, and we will be God's people. But to those who don't, don't believe, there will be punishment for all, the, the punishment we all deserve. We all deserve to be thrown in the, the, bur, um, the lake of sulfur. It's through the grace of God that he reaches down and saves us from our sins that we don't deserve that. Um, heaven will descend to earth, and we as believers will be with God forever. Ultimately, it all boils down to the gospel. The, the work of Christ on the cross is what defeats evil once and for all. Um, I've given a sermon about it recently. I know Dowdy's given a sermon about it recently, about the reliability of the gospels, especially when it comes to the resurrection of Christ. The ultimate, the ultimate argument there is that the disciples all died horrible deaths because they believed in the resurrection of Christ. And they would know whether or not that's true. Why would you die for a lie? So let's go to the resurrection of Christ. Um, there's a theologian, um, Derek Rishmawi, I think that's how you say his last name, um, that brings this defense against the, the problem of evil. And I'll just pretty much read it um, verbatim. One, if God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, which we have, we have thoroughly explained that that was uh, a very, very probable historical event, I have good reason to believe that both he exists and that he is unfathomably, unfathomably powerful. Number two, furthermore, if he is good enough to send his only begotten son to die on behalf of a sinful, rebellious world he loves, then he is unfathomably good. So we've already got all good and all powerful. Next, if God is wise enough to use what is objectively the most horrifying and initially apparently pointless event in human history, the unjust murder of the God-man, for the salvation of the world, then it is entirely reasonable to trust that he has a good enough reason for allowing the evil that he currently does. And four, finally, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are the promise that ultimately evil will be judged, removed, and made right. So out of all the worldviews that we can look at, I believe that Christianity has the best answer for the problem of evil. Um, we, may, we may not know or even ever know why there is evil in the world. But because of the resurrection of Christ Jesus, we can have assurance that God has a good reason for allowing it and that the evil will eventually be dealt with and overcome. And I believe that the Christian answer is by far the best answer to the problem of evil out there. Let's pray.
Dear God, thank you so much for all the good that you've given to us. And this, despite the fact that we don't deserve any of it. Um, we don't know why there's evil. We, we don't know why evil happens. We can, we can make guesses, but nine times out of the ten, those guesses will be wrong. But God, we know you're in control of it. And we know that you will overcome evil. And we thank you for that. We praise you for that. Um, that is, for some of us, the, the, the best hope we can hold to when we are going through evil ourselves. Um, please be with us as we go out in the world. Please be with us as we are, we are met with unbelievers who, who bring this problem of evil against us. And help us to have the wisdom and the knowledge to have a, have a civil conversation with them. And that ultimately, our evangelism will, will lead to more Christians. Uh, we thank you, we love you, we honor you. In your holy name we pray. Amen.